All right, I see Jimmy Song's hat in the back. Bobby Lee, come on up. And uh, we have a couple of microphone stands. So we got a few minutes. Uh, let's take some Q&A with the speakers. And then, uh, I'm not sure, are we live streaming yet? Not yet, almost. All right, cool. Yeah, come on up, grab a chair. Come on up, grab a chair. Yeah, yeah, just have a seat. Uh, I'm probably going to stand and host. All right, we're good? We're live? All right. Hey, guys. All right, we're live. Uh, just a little test live stream for tomorrow. Get ready for tomorrow. All right, guys. Uh, welcome for those that are hanging out with us Friday night. Uh, we wanted to uh, just have a little meet and greet with the speakers. The carnivory dinner uh, will begin. We'll probably do some a little bit of announcements before we go. Uh, but I want to, you know, jump right into it. We are uh, going to be limited on time. The carnivory dinner starts at 7 p.m. Uh, and we got to head over there. Uh, so um, if anyone has a question, like, actually, come up to the mic. We're going to uh, put a mic in that. Um, I'm going to stick my mic in here. Uh, so if you have a question for uh, the gentleman that are on stage after they introduce themselves, uh, come on up and ask a question. Yeah, Peter Todd. I'm a applied cryptography consultant. That's kind of like uh, what, you know, what um, hydraulic engineering, you know, equivalent to say cryptography is to plumbing. Uh, hi, I'm Willie Wu. I do um, on-chain analysis, which is kind of looking into the on-chain ledger and divining where the price might go. And um, I'm a partner in a hedge fund, Adaptive Capital. Um, kind of work with Jimmy a bit in some startups as well in the space. I'm Jimmy Song, and I sell cowboy hats sometimes. <laughs> My name is Bobby Lee. I'm the founder uh, CEO of Ballet. We, we are a maker of uh, physical wallets for cold storage, multi-currency. So we have a booth out here. Love to meet you guys. Uh, this is made for the mass market, mass adoption. Thank you very much. All right, we're waiting for questions. Mike? Is that the deal? Mic check. Yeah, anyone have uh, any questions? We got about, you know, we got a few minutes. Uh, before we get some of our sponsors to just show what products they have. Question. A question about accessibility. Of course, I'm a blind person. I just want to know what you guys think, if it's in even in your orbit, as to considering accessibility versus uh, through the APIs or other sorts of accessibility. Considering Bitcoin is supposed to bring, you know, something to the world in terms of, uh, you know, like, with uh, remittances and the unbanked and that kind of stuff. Uh, I, my experience has been a lot of the stuff has been unaccessible and hard to uh, access. So that's my question. What are your thoughts? Well, uh, I, I, I want to say that that is a great idea for somebody that's an entrepreneur, right? Like marketing to people like you. Because there are lots of underserved populations that, uh, that want to get into Bitcoin, that want to get into crypto, and that want to do things in this space, but they can't. And uh, all, all it takes is an entrepreneur that knows uh, you know, what the needs are and finds a product market fit. So I'd actually go point out um, 
you know, command line interfaces have potential working well with sc uh, screen readers. And I personally, I mean, I'd much rather go use wallets and other tools for a Bitcoin through command line interfaces. So, you know, right there, I think you've got an option. Um, is JP in the room? Where's JP? Yeah, okay, JP here runs Xtras Wallet, and they do, um, you know, to me it's a very Mac-like experience to interact with um, crypto, and it's really pitched for the mainstream, and I think it's like companies like this, um, you could probably add it, right? Like the ability to add accessibility to interact with um, these, these assets and um, even... Um, you know, decentralized finance around that. And I think we're getting there. Um, it's taken a while. It's taken us 10 years to even get wallets that work for ordinary people. Um, and I think we're almost getting there. Figuring out even how to hold private keys is still a challenge. You know, grandma keeps losing it. Boomers keep losing it. Um, so we've got to solve that first. And then, um, yeah, I think this stuff will come in due time when, um, you know, only what, 1% of the world at tops owns these assets. So um, traditionally you don't get to um, catering for everyone when we're only at 1%. And so uh, it will take time, but it's fast growing. It's fast growing. All right. Anybody else? Question? You want to come over to the mic? You got to have something for these guys or for me. One of, the things One, goal. Yeah. One of the things that's being talked about as the next big fight or drama that's going to happen in the industry is going to be privacy versus sort of surveillance and, and how that's going to play out. Um, I'm starting to see some of the signs that's happening. Uh, there was a big, big arrest recently of a CEO. I think it was like drop bid or something like that, talking about money laundering and so on. How do you guys see that playing out? Um, are we going to have like, you know, default privacy in Bitcoin or, or is there going to be like there's going to be some sort of split, right? Uh, one idea that I heard is that for money to be money, there has to be a bridge between the dark market and the white market, right? I think it's an interesting idea, right? If, 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 the, if the dark money can't get out of the dark market, then it doesn't work. If it's only white money, it's not really, it's not really innovative, right? So anyway, there's, there's a topic. Yeah, I think what you're talking about is uh, black market money and, uh, you know, legal money. Um, it's kind of an interesting way to look at it because at least up until, you know, say 100 years ago, there, there wasn't that distinction between illegal money and legal money. That money wasn't used as a means of control uh, to uh, make it so that people can or can't do stuff. Um, I suspect that the whole privacy stuff will slowly be integrated into a lot of the privacy stuff that we see uh, that, that wallet software can implement right now just hasn't been because it hasn't been that much of a priority. Uh, so Taproot definitely brings a lot more of that in. Uh, you're, you can't tell the difference between pay to script hash and pay to pub key hash addresses and things like that. Um, I think stealth addresses will become more popular as, uh, as people recognize their benefits and things like that. There's uh, also confidential transactions on things like liquid. So um, there, there are already avenues to sort of, uh, you know, uh, 
wash your coins if you want to. It's uh, it, it's just a matter of time before the software ca- and the demand, uh, frankly, of a lot of people like catches up to that. Um, and until that does, it's honestly not going to get made. Uh, and but you know, I mean, we're we got. A lot more ways to go before you know Bitcoin is like super popular with everyone. At that point, there will be a market for almost everything, including privacy. I mean, a point I've often made and probably been making this for years is that for decentralized protocols to scale, of course, they can't spread the information about your transactions as widely. And I think we'll see some of that. You know, tension in things like Lightning, where the number of people can actually go and do chain analysis, really drops a lot. You know, and certainly some companies can go try to run, you know, Lightning nodes that record uh, blogs and so on. But that's a much harder environment to be in compared to everyone doing something on chain. You know, and that combined with things like Taproot certainly makes life a lot more difficult. And you also, it's interesting how you get things like Zcash, where if actually used as very, very good privacy, assuming the tech actually works as advertised. But that sort of caveat I don't think actually matters that much for the policy discussion. And we also then have some government officials then now coming on the side of it saying, well, you know, we actually need these protocols to have privacy. And it could very well turn out to be that the big fight is not actually in Bitcoin, but in sort of fiat currencies as various entities try to go make them digital. That might actually be the bigger political fight, and I'm kind of hoping it is, because then it gives us a lot more leverage, and you know, we don't have to be at the forefront of that as much, and would probably benefit a lot from just having that controversy, regardless of which ways it goes. All right, take another question, guys. Don't forget, we also have a book signing, Jimmy Song and Saifedean. I'm also sitting right there. Uh, so feel free to purchase one of their books and or if you've brought your own and they'll be happy to sign it for you. All right, next question. Um, what is your opinion on the viability and the roadmap for Taproot, Schnorr, TapScript? And what is something that uh, developers that maybe have not contributed to Bitcoin Core can do to help sort of accelerate the timeline uh, or, you know, like vet the proposal to improve it? I feel like I'm answering every question, but yeah, uh, ta- Taproot, I, I, it's definitely coming along, and uh, uh, you know, I think the army of reviewers that actually looked at it during the Taproot review period uh, late last year, um, you know, they they did a great job. I think we we have a very very good proposal that's out there. Um, as far as adoption, um, I think it's uh, you know, I mean, it's going to take some time. I, I don't think you ever want to hurry something. That's this, um, you know, like, you know, it's a big soft fork. So we, we want to get everything right. Uh, but the benefits are gigantic. And, you know, you're, you're going to save block space. And, um, you know, you're going to have, um, you know, the ability to verify all the transactions in a block at some savings because you can add all the points together and things like that. So um, I'm, I'm hoping that this this will... Uh, you know, be executed uh, towards the end of this year. Um, I think that's kind of an optimistic timeline, uh, but I don't think you want it any faster than that. Uh, so, you know, somewhere between the end of this year and then, and say maybe the end of next year is probably the time frame that we're looking at. 
Um, and I think that's okay. I think that that's the right level of due diligence that needs to happen on something this big. I mean, I'll just say I think it'll be very interesting seeing whether or not someone manages to create a, a bunch of controversy around it this time. You know, we saw that with Sequit, and this is the next uh, big upgrade, and who knows what will happen. All right, anyone else? Go for it. Uh, I think I have more of a... Oh, in the mic, in the mic, in the mic, for the audio. Hello? Yep, perfect. Uh, I think um, I it's more of a societal question than development-oriented. Um, big institutional, you know, big institutional institutions in general coming into Bitcoin. Um, does that hurt or or help the adoption for the general mass? Right. So big institutions coming in, does it hurt or help? That's a good question. We'll have a, ba we'll have a panel on, uh, on, on finance at the end of the day tomorrow, so we'll see what they say. But go for it, guys. Uh, yeah, so working on the legislation in Wyoming that creates the Special Purpose Depository Bank, uh, you know, it's, it's crafted for those institutions. And I think we should keep in mind that those institutions don't necessarily have the same goals that a lot of the original uh, Bitcoin kind of ideas uh, might might be. You know, they, they want to have a custodian that holds their private keys, hence a special purpose suppository bank that can custody digital assets. Uh, they need to have things like that. These institutions become a pipeline for liquidity or capital to be able to come into the asset class. Um, the people who have the gold makes the rules, right? People who hold the Bitcoin, they make the rules. And these big institutions are already holding billions of dollars of Bitcoin. Uh, they'll continue to probably hold more and more of that. So they'll continue to have a bigger and bigger say in what type of extensibility happens uh, with Bitcoin and, and what doesn't. Remember, we need very wide consensus to get stuff done, uh, 90, you know, at least 95 percent. And so, you know, if we don't have wide consensus, like we just ossify and uh, you know, so some people may have things that they want to get in, uh, but they're just not going to get in because whatever reason, you know, maybe maybe these large institutions are getting pressure from the regulators, for example. Uh, and so they challenge, uh, they, they raise concerns about whatever type of proposal might be coming through, and then it doesn't get very wide consensus, and then it just stops and Bitcoin ossifies. It gets this store of value characteristic um, and whatnot. It's it's going to be interesting to to see how it happens. Uh, we should keep in mind it's only a hundred seventy billion dollar market cap. I mean, some of these institutions have that much cash on their balance sheet. Like like Bitcoin is tiny compared to these institutions. Uh, so you know whether and and then it's you know are they going to use something like Libra or the central bank digital currencies or I mean, there's just a lot of ways that this can all play out. And the the Bitcoin network, you know, is a it's a protocol, but then the legal code is a protocol that our society operates on. And no amount of uh, great wealth has been accumulated without the uh, basically the permission of that particular legal protocol. 
And if you have accumulated large amounts of wealth and done it not in accordance with that protocol, you usually get caught and thrown in the pokey. Um, so, you know, these are all going to be tensions because these large institutions are going to be paying their taxes. Uh, all the Bitcoiners are going to increasingly have uh, the cost of taxes like fully born. You know, you're now checking a box on your tax return. You're now going to, you're, you're going to have these permanent immutable ledgers with all your transactions. You're going to have to keep all of the records and transactions that are happening. If you don't do it, you're going to rack up potential penalties and interest and all types of stuff. And so these become attack services and attack vectors uh, for the regulators and the tax authorities and the lawyers to attack your HODL stack. Um, and, and, you know, the, in terms of the qualitative uh, characteristics of money, uh, these large institutions, because they, you know, they have entire armies of accountants and lawyers, they don't really need to worry about the qualitative characteristics of money when it comes to the privacy and the anonymity and the fungibility. Uh, so they, you know, aren't necessarily going to be in favor of those types of uh, upgrades to Bitcoin because they see those as bugs versus features. So, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see how it all plays out and what individuals choose to do with their capital and with the value that they have. I mean, I'd actually disagree a bit on this uh, stuff with privacy. You know, I mean, I, I've done consulting, like, for instance, with uh, R3 and uh, other stuff for banks. And one of the impressions I get is while they have a different outlook on things like privacy in terms of what they can do and how the regulatory landscape works with them, their basic goal, like, you know, much of the sort of crypto anarchists is, yeah, they want privacy as much as they can. Because privacy for a big institution is a competitive advantage. You know, the last thing you want to do is have your competitors know what you're doing when you don't want them to know. You know, this is why you get weird stuff in sort of the enterprise-y, like, blockchain space where they're thinking very, very hard about privacy. And even at the same time, when they're also thinking very hard about regulatory compliance. So I, I don't quite know how that's going to play out. And... I wouldn't assume things will play out in a particular way. I think it really depends on the specifics of how this stuff develops and how regulators approach it. And there may be tensions between different countries which have different views on this. You know, and I also point out, I think like this gets interesting where you're talking about protocol upgrades, where how, you know, e even right now, how a big holder of Bitcoins thinks about the definition of Bitcoin. This is all kind of un uncharted territory. You know, they don't quite know how to define what a Bitcoin actually is in the face of things like BSV and Bcash and other forks. And, you know, that's kind of an involving thing. we got time for one more question. Oh, yeah, two. All right, two more questions. Go for it, guys. Okay, um, Trace, I've heard you express some unfavorable opinions about uh, coin mixing. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean, it... Put yourself in the position of being the chief compliance officer at one of the exchanges. Uh, you go to jail if you don't uphold the AML KYC rules. Uh, that's why Charlie Shrim went to jail. Um, and the rules, unfortunately, are written in a very nebulous way. And so the chief compliance officers have to operate in a way where they are covering their own rear ends. And so they have, and they have to 
basically it becomes a a judgment call on their end it's not like they have a safe harbor on what they're able to do and know that they're not going to go to the pokey so when it comes to transactions uh, that are that have gone through mixers either before or after they come into the into the exchanges they just assign a higher risk score you know and we saw this when Bitcoin was first coming out you did any type of Bitcoin related stuff and you automatically had enhanced due diligence uh, done by the AML KYC uh, uh, people the CCOs and whatnot and so you know it's just the world that you live in um, and so when you don't have the privacy and fungibility at the base layer and it's opt-in you have to keep in mind that most people are not opting in to the privacy 20 million coinbase downloads 50,000 wasabi wallet downloads so when you engage in the coin join transactions you're raising your hand that you do this type of stuff and so they just lump all of that into a higher risk and do more due diligence on so. on those particular customers and then you might get your account shut down you might get your your account limited all these types of things and I had a I had a friend he he had you know he's runs an FTP business for HIPAA compliant data for doctors and he had done an ACH transfer with Coinbase they shut down 19 of his bank accounts all of his businesses all of his family members everybody just persona non grata at the bank I, I have another friend he's actually a self-made multi-billionaire and and he had banked for 40 years with this particular bank and he goes in one day and nobody will even acknowledge him because he's now all of his accounts are closed and he has to take all his money somewhere else so I mean this is serious like the, these banks are are serious when it comes to uh, all of the AML KYC compliance and unfortunately the the rules are very nebulous and so they just have to be overly cautious and you can't really blame them for doing that and so it just is what it is and then we look at the characteristics of Bitcoin and they are what they are and so you know it might not be the use case you know you might want to use an airplane instead of a car if you're trying to accomplish something well, let, me, let me ask you a quick follow-up uh, go ahead Peter I mean I'd go say though if these kind of risks sound too dangerous to you I'd also have to unfortunately give the advice don't use Bitcoin you know, like in Canada, ignoring any of this coin join stuff, there's plenty of examples of people's bank accounts getting shut down for just working in cryptocurrency, period. I mean, I, I personally actually, in a very, very ironic, because it was for a payment from a major European bank for some consulting, transfer-wise, refused to go and, you know, let me you know um, transfer that payment through their service. It was from a major European bank. I can't say which because of NDA, but... Like, it, that's just how ridiculous it is. And unfortunately, if that's the level of risk you're working, well, maybe Bitcoin's not for you. And it's really about marginal risk. You know, for, you're already taking that much risk on Bitcoin. I'd more argue, well, think, is additional risk of getting more privacy worth it? Depending on your circumstance, yes. Depending on your circumstance, maybe no. You, you know, and along with that, the IRS only takes payment, <laughs> like, through the banking system. So the last thing you need is to have your your you have tax liability and you have your bank account shut down. How are you going to pay the IRS? And guess what? You don't pay them. Penalties and interest start accruing, and that's pretty pretty nasty. So, uh, you know, and and just ask Ross Albrecht what it's like. Yeah. Well, let, me, let me let me ask you a quick follow up, Trace. So, 
in your statement, like by my initial question was going to be, but you somewhat addressed it, is going to be if these exchanges are afraid to take a coin join transaction from a user, how are they justifying the trading of, say, a Monero, which is supposed to be private by default? And isn't every single user of their exchange that sends Monero in automatically falls in the same boat? Yeah, I mean, gold dealers can deal with gold, and there's no there's no smell to gold. You don't have a transaction history yeah. on gold. Uh, I think CZ made the comment like, "Well, we don't get a lot of requests from law enforcement about Monero." <laughs> so well, no one uses Monero. That's probably why. No. But uh, <laughs> and, my, and my other one is, if this is if so few people are using CoinJoin, shouldn't we be more advertising for more people to use CoinJoin than for less? Because if everyone's using CoinJoin, then it, it is what it is. Then it's like physical gold selling. Well, it's uh, one, there's a barrier to entry to using it. Uh, you, two, no, not a full the wallets start implementing it. Well, I mean, somebody's got to write that code and deploy it, and users got to understand like what CoinJoin even is and why it might be important, and now you got to do education on all that stuff. But it, the other problem is that it's opt-in. Uh, and so, you know by opting into it if it if it were in the base layer it would be different because then everybody's doing it by default but as soon as you you have this distinguishment uh like kraken for example if you want to send zcash in you have to use an unblinded address from what i understand uh i mean i've never also, i've never but now you have to opt cash. out in order to use it right so we're back <laughs> so, so we're back to our circle right let's get jimmy's two cents on this and then we'll get one more question and then we'll get uh um uh, and then we'll, we'll, we'll turn this over. You, 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 you skip it. Okay. Uh, you guys good? All right. One more question. Yeah, so I have a question for Willie. Um, what is your outlook on the current state of the Bitcoin difficulty ribbon? Uh, the current state of the Bitcoin difficulty ribbon, uh, you may want to explain that first, Willie, real quick. Did you want to expand on that or just in general? Okay, so... Uh, <coughs> difficulty ribbon essentially um, just looks like a ribbon actually um, and usually it goes up it, obviously the difficulty on the network goes up but there are rare exceptions to that rule and that's when um, miners start turning off and so when you look at this ribbon it starts to compress and sometimes it even dips um, and that's a visual telling that miners are going through a hard time and so what you get is this sort of cascade effect. You know, miners shut down, they're getting liquidated, they're getting bankrupted, they sell their coins um, onto the market, which forces the price down, and then the next weakest miner goes down. And generally what happens is miners start to capitulate, and then the strongest, meanest, leanest miners hold the line. And the... Um, and you'll see this as a bottoming of the difficulty and it climbs again. And if you look at that and you see all these compressions in the ribbon when this, this sort of minor capitulation event happens, they signal the bottom um, for, for Bitcoin price. Um, and we did that in um, around the 3,000 bottom when we crashed from 6,000. And recently um, we had... From memory, I think we had a compression um, leading. Uh, I'm trying to remember it because I haven't watched those charts in a while. But um, it was around after the 14 top, and we're coming back down to the 6,000. 
um, no, sorry, not the 6,000, the last well, 67,000, we did have the compression. And um, this last compression was quite mysterious because you would have thought just last year the, the miners got culled, um, the weak ones did, so it didn't quite make sense. Um, and I was told by miners um, in, the, in the industry that uh, what was happening was they were upgrading um, old hardware like the S9s and putting in the latest generation in. So they were already turning, turning off their miners um, for this upgrade and they weren't actually capitulating. And what they were doing was um, reduce, the difficulty did reduce because they, were, they shut down miners. On top of that, they posted collateral to um, OTC desks to draw on um, fiat loans to um, buy more miners. Um, the next generation, uh, you saw coins leaving their wallets, uh, you know, so you would think they were selling on the market, but no, they were posting it to OTC desk, so it was very much like a, a false capitulation, um, but also um, it can coincide with the bottom, which was curious, um, so the rule worked, um, and it's always worked, so... It's kind of weird, you know. This last one wasn't behind the scenes what, what you would have thought, but um, that did happen. And we did see that in the prior halvening as well. And I think in the 2016 halvening, we saw the same effect where miners were upgrading um, before the halvening. All right. Uh, thanks for the update, Willie. All right, guys. Uh, we're going to say thank you uh, to some of our speakers that came up. Uh, we're still going to be in this room for a little bit. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, what another thing I really want to do, we don't have many sponsors of this event. We have about like maybe five, six. And I, I want them to come up and just say a few words so that you guys know what is happening in that back room uh, so that you uh, understand like their projects. And uh, all right, thank you guys. I wish you come off the stage. Uh, Bobby Lee will be one of them. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, thanks, Trace. And um, in between, I'll just do quick announcements. Uh, the carnivory dinner is about a five, seven minute walk away, uh, so definitely don't drive there. Uh, that will start at seven. It is completely sold out, unfortunately, uh, and it's, uh, we went throughout the whole restaurant. There's just honestly no more capacity, uh, but thank you so much for those that are coming. Uh, Nick, uh, Blockforge, coming up. They have a table out there in the back. He'll tell you a little bit about mining and uh, what they do. Just about five, um, well, it's 10 minutes total. Um, uh, maybe a little bit less. Come on up, Nick. I'll give you the mic. Uh, just talk about what you guys do and maybe field a question um, in your area of expertise. My name is Nick. Uh, we have a company, Blockforge. We're back in the back corner back there. We're the U.S. distribution hub for Canon Avalon miners, which is Bitmain's. Them and MicroBT are the top three mining manufacturers in the world. Um, we're located in Mesa, Arizona. We have a facility. We do the repair. Um, we help people with technical questions. Back in 2015, 2016, we used to be 99% to small retail garage mining people. Now it's 99% industrial. So for anybody in the United States, Canada, South America, if you're buying large volume of anything from Canon, Avalon, we're most likely involved either in the after-sale after support, the transportation, whether it be from Beijing, Shenzhen, to Hong Kong, to the U.S., Canada, wherever the mine's located across the world. Um, aside from that, I got a couple minutes, so. Anybody have a mining question? Any mining question? 
You've been drama. <laughs> SEC with Bitmain and what's going on there and <coughs> huge liability for us. Uh, yeah, I question back there. Yep. Nathan, nope, nope, nope. Got to speak into the mic. No, no, because for the camera, it won't get you. Uh, we've seen a lot of advancements in mining, obviously kind of crazy, but we're starting to slow down. Do you think that that is going to kind of come to a, a, a stop? Uh, you know, is, are we going to see the miners last for a while uh, going forward, or are we going to still wh – what's your thoughts on the, the speed of, of uh, advancement? It's not slowing down at all. It's just more the – the halvening's coming. Some of the mining manufacturers are a little bit more cautious. Like, Hannon's still running on the 60 nanometer, where Bitmain moved on to the 7. But even with the 7, they're still only about 60% efficient, so they still have at least another year, probably into the first quarter of 2021, until that thing's 100% tapped out. They started testing with, like, a 5 nanometer, but that's just in the back corner of TSMC that they're testing with. It's nowhere near production ready, so the manufacturers, especially with Canon, they just IPO'd, so they're have to be a little bit more cautious the way they invest in these chips because manufacturers are putting the money up for chips about six, seven months ahead of time. So they're going long before they even know what the heck is going on, especially with the halvening. This is the first halvening in history. There's going to be more used equipment that's going to hit the market than new equipment, and that's going to be very interesting, especially with the with the Bcash fork that's gonna coming up. There's, there's enough used equipment in some mines to 100% take over that whole network. So it's going to be very interesting how this whole thing plays out in a couple of months. But uh, they're playing cautious, and definitely for the long haul, it, it'll keep going up. Uh, since you mentioned Bcash, uh, so you guys are probably getting a lot of questions uh, from other people. So what is it like how lately, like in the last year, how has it been for mining non-Bitcoin? Like there's, are you getting like a lot less of those uh, are people interested, or has that interest ra uh, spiked up a little bit in the last month now that altcoins are up? Uh, how is that Bitcoin mining interest versus altcoin? Most of our customers are all mining Bitcoin. Uh, they might, some of them do a profit switch, some of the pools do a profit switch. A lot of pools actually do a profit switch without even telling you they're doing a profit switch on the back end. But uh, mostly right now, the Bcash and the SV is more of a internal play for network control that's happening that's specific uh, I don't want to say too much but it's specific person invested minds that have a more of a political purpose than actually a profit per purchase nobody's going to buy a bunch of miners and just want to mine one of those other coins it doesn't really make sense in the long run alright thanks Nick we're going to go and have a mining panel um, at the counter though one last question alright come on up I was wondering, what is the real cost of mining a Bitcoin today in, in the U.S., in Iceland, in China? What is the real cost? In the U.S., probably about 5600 bucks. In China, it depends. During the rainy season, a lot of the Chinas have moved south, so they're running on hydroelectric. It's around $0.02 cents a kilowatt, I think, compared to us. Um, they also have to give a, a cut to their local government and then some to the national government, but aside from that, they're probably $0.03 cents all in, so... Uh, probably about 3800 bucks on them. As far as Europe, I'm not as familiar. Most of our customers are in South America, America, Canada, or China. Uh, oh, a real quick question. Do you think mining is centralized? I think the pools are centralized. I don't think mining is centralized. It's 
they all follow the money. I mean, there's only like r- three, really three pools in the world, and it's not. Uh, some people freak out about the attack. I, I don't. I don't. I don't think anybody in the space actually worries about it. That's actually mining. It's more of they're trying to control the currency through just controlling the movement of the money, not through any type of attack. So that's not. The centralization of the actual mining doesn't really concern anybody. I mean, we know, I think slush you were going to have here, and we're hoping their Stratum V2 would help with the decentralization so it gives miners back the choice to choose what blocks they want to mine. All right, excellent. Yeah, we'll dive deep into those questions on the panel. All right, awesome. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for coming up. All right, up next, we got Start9, and they will uh, tell you about what they're working on. Thanks, Tom. Hey, everybody. Um, waiting on my team to come up here to the front. I'd like to introduce them as well. Uh, as Tom said, I'm with a company called Start9. Uh, me and these two gentlemen and one who's coming up from the back, the guy with the cloak, you won't miss him. Uh, we started um, a company called Start9. We do personal servers. Uh, it's a product that we're calling the Embassy. Closer to the mic. It's a product we're calling the Embassy. Uh, we call it that because we think of it as your sovereign territory in the land of the Internet. Um, at first glance, this thing looks like a Raspberry Pi running a Bitcoin node. I assure you, it is a Raspberry Pi, and it can run a Bitcoin node, but that is just one app on what we're calling the Sovereign App Store. We have developed the first computing platform for the normal average person for the distributed web. There is nothing like this currently in existence. We spent the last five months uh, tunneled up, the four of us, building this platform. Um, here's how it works. It's a you know three-inch by two-inch device. We have some on display at the back table. We're willing to do personal demos for anybody who comes by. You plug this thing into the wall. You then open up the companion app for iOS or Android. This is a very user-friendly GUI app that you can download from the App Store or Google Play Store. And you use it to connect directly to your server. Right? This is you on your private LAN at home. You connect to the server. And from there, what you can do is visit the Sovereign App Store. In the Sovereign App Store, there are three apps currently available. The first one was Bitcoin. We believed that that was the first and most important app to put onto the store so that everyone on Earth could, with the push of a button, run a full Bitcoin node over Tor by default in under 60 seconds. So some of you who are out there who just took uh, Giacomo's class over the last two days just learned how intensive it can be to run a Bitcoin full node. It requires command line either experience or a guide. Uh, it requires hardware. It requires research. It requires time, et cetera, et cetera. With our platform, you plug it into the wall. A couple clicks later, under 60 seconds later, you have a Bitcoin full node running on your own personal server over Tor, served up on its own .onion URL that you can connect to from any wallet that supports Tor. And that's just one app, okay? Go right back to the Sovereign App Store and download Cups Messenger, which is a peer-to-peer messaging protocol that we developed because there wasn't anything adequate in the world uh, that served our purposes, right? So when you download Cups, same thing. A few seconds later, you have running on your personal device that's sitting in your own living room a peer-to-peer, fully encrypted over Tor V3 messaging app that you can use to message anyone else in the world who is also running this protocol. 
It required absolutely no technical expertise. It requires absolutely no middlemen or third parties of any kind other than the Tor relays, which, you know, and the ISPs, which we are finding ways to get around as well. But if you have one of these devices and your friend has one of these devices and you would like to have a totally secure, totally private, peer-to-peer -peer encrypted chat from anywhere in the world to anywhere else in the world, this is the easiest way that has ever existed to do that, period. And we're willing to stand by that, and nobody has been able to show us something that works better or easier that has ever, ever existed. So um, the way that it works, uh, I'll talk about cups for like two seconds, is that basically your physical uh, device, right? So once you install cups onto your server, it is going to get served up on its own Tor hidden service and spit out a .onion URL. That .onion URL essentially is your address, your phone number, on the CUPS decentralized protocol. Nobody knows that it exists, nobody knows it belongs to you, but you have just sort of self-assigned your own address, kind of like getting a private key uh, on the Bitcoin network. You then give the Tor address to your friend, right? Now I have your address, you have my address. So my phone makes a request to my server, my server makes a request to your server, your server hands that to your phone. So it is you and me talking on a fully encrypted, end-to-end, onion-routed network, uh, and it costs us each a couple pushes of a button and an offline exchange of a Tor address. Okay. The third app on the App Store currently is another protocol that we wrote, which is called Uptime. And its sole purpose in life is for servers to watch each other to make sure that they stay up. Right. One of the big challenges in personal server uh, in the personal server ecosystem is uptime, is making sure that your server does not go down. Because if it goes down, you can't send me a message. If it goes down, you can't reach your own Bitcoin node. So the problem is, is that in the, in the centralized world of today, when something goes down, it is some third party that's monitoring you that tells you that it went down. But here, that would violate your trust and privacy, or it would require trust, which can violate your privacy. And so what we do is we have things called like monitoring buddies, right? So you and your friend, or if you just happen to have two servers, this server is watching this server so that if this one goes offline, this server tells you about it, right? So you and your friend are sort of watching each other's back to make sure that your, your server is up. And if it goes down, you get alerted, and then you can go and, you know, fix it if it needs it. Or just turn your internet back on, which is the most likely reason that it would have gone down. Um, so those are the three apps currently on the what we're calling the Sovereign App Store. Uh, we are selling these devices currently. We have shipped them around the nation. The feedback has been universally positive from people uh, like my parents, for instance, who couldn't in their wildest dreams imagine setting up their own private server in the home, running Bitcoin over Tor and a peer-to-peer -peer encrypted messaging network, and they were able to set this entire thing up and use it in a matter of minutes. It is just like using your phone, except it's the other side of the equation. It's the back end, right? We are building a trustless internet, one brick at a time. There is no network effect. You can buy one of these devices and gain all the benefits of it without anyone else in the world except the person you want to talk to using it. But in the form of Bitcoin, there's already a bunch of people using Bitcoin, so you get one of these devices and you are running Bitcoin with zero trust, right? So we're going to show you cups. Uh, these are two real uh, sort of nodes, uh, this guy and this guy, on the cups network. We put them up on one screen for you here so that you could see. And in the middle of the screen is the companion app. This is the app that you use 
to communicate with your server primarily only for the purposes of installing apps, uninstalling apps, and configuring them, which is a really difficult thing, number three, for anybody who has tried to run server-side applications. Configuring them, handling dependency management, these are usually departments at a company. With us, it's a button. So this is the, uh, the companion app in the middle there. You can see that both Cups, Uptime, and Bitcoin Core uh, are installed, or Bitcoin Core is still installing. Uh, the internet connection here is awful. Uh, normally, it takes about 15 seconds. It's been taking upward of two minutes to install Bitcoin, which is still better than two days, <laughs> uh, which is what the, uh, you know, the workshop here was. Um, so anyway, so yeah, let's send some messages. So Keegan, this is Keegan, is over here. Uh, and this is blah onion URL because he hasn't assigned it a name yet. But they can message each other. And so what you're seeing on the left and right side of this screen are messages that are traveling over the Tor network, and so there's a little bit of latency because Tor has, you know, hops around the world, which is what helps keep it anonymous. It looks like a messaging app, <laughs> right? What we are doing is we are trying to replicate exactly what currently exists in the world today without trust, okay? You will be able to message people, email people, have your own personal cloud data storage, Right? Say like you have five of these devices, plug one in in Colorado, plug one in in Florida, give them the same BIP39 mnemonic key, they will discover each other under the hood on the Tor network and start sharing the load of data storage without you having to worry about any of it. We are replicating Google Drive without Google. We're replicating email without Gmail. Messaging without iOS. And we're making it push button. This is a platform, an entire computing platform for the distributed internet. It was not possible before recent times, and it was not possible without Bitcoin. Right? And I don't mean technically, I mean the energy, the meaning of it all, right? The, the spirit Bitcoin unleashed something uh, that is now going to decentralize everything, but what's missing is the core layer. Bitcoin is not the base layer. Physical hardware is. And until we are able to decentralize the physical hardware, running a Bitcoin node on DigitalOcean, they can cut you off. They can see who you're talking to. Running a peer-to-peer -peer encrypted messaging service over Telegram, which is a great app, by the way, right? Peer-to-peer -peer encrypted messaging. But it's taking a hop on Telegram servers. Maybe they are telling the truth and they can't read it and they don't have a back door, but they're definitely sitting in the middle of you and your friend which means they can see that you're talking to that person and they can cut you off. And sometimes the evidence that you're just talking to somebody can be enough to condemn you in the right jurisdiction at the right time. I'm done talking, uh, but I will take any questions <laughs> if you have any questions. All right, we've got time for maybe one question. Anyone? Anyone? That's a good thing. All right, uh, if you want to know more, they'll have a booth uh, right there in the back. Um, so come over and they'll show you a personal demo. This right. device costs one ninety nine, by the way. Yeah. It's a cheap price for personal sovereignty. All right, awesome. Thanks, guys. All right, up next we have Bobby Lee. Come on up, Bobby. All right, thank you. All right awesome. Hey, so while Bobby's setting up, hey, guys, uh, Vesa, where are you? There you are. Uh, check out the art. The, the videos that are playing next to the art pieces, uh, this art piece was specifically commissioned um, for uh, this event, uh, it has 
a, uh, you can watch the video and it basically says like the background and the thinking, uh, the audio on that video is going to be a little low, as to not to interrupt, but if you come near that TV, you'll hear the audio. Uh, it's great. We're going to auction off. There's only three. There's only three originals, and uh, one of them will be signed by many of the speakers, and that will be auctioned off uh, on stage uh, tomorrow night, uh, or uh, either tomorrow night or at the party, we'll, we'll decide. And, uh, and there's another one still up for sale. Uh, the third one um, has already been sold. So there's only two left available. One will be auctioned, one still available for sale. And we have smaller digital prints that will also be up for sale as well. All right, Bobby, the floor is yours. Okay, hi. Good afternoon, everyone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is such a great conference, isn't it? I'm so excited. It reminds me of the good old conferences, Bitcoin conference back in the old days, right? This is awesome. So I'm here to talk about uh, Ballet, my new company. We are making cryptocurrency wallets for the everyday person. So quick survey. Did a friend introduce you to Bitcoin? Did you discover the white paper by yourself? Anyone get their first Bitcoin from friends? Yes? All right. Same here. Um, so would you want to introduce Bitcoin to more people? That's a genuine question. How many of you guys want to? All of us, right? That's why we're here. Okay. And, and lastly, who wants free Bitcoin? Are you sure? All right, I'm gonna give out free Bitcoin at the end of this presentation. We'll keep it fast running. All right, so ballet crypto. So if you download the mobile app, by the way, we'll give out these free ballet wallets to everyone at the conference. So once you have your badge tomorrow, right, come by the booth. Bobby, you're too loud. Oh, too loud. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Okay. We're gonna go like this. Okay. The, the, the live stream people are. <laughs> okay. So uh, newcomers face two big obstacles to Bitcoin. Number one is that Bitcoin is hard to buy. Do you guys agree? And then second thing is safekeeping is very complicated. So my last career, as you know, I ran BTCC, the first Bitcoin exchange in China. So I sold that two years ago, and now this is my new venture, Ballet, and I'm gonna solve the problem of the safekeeping, okay? So the how to buy, that's exchanges, been there, done that, now I'm on to the next thing, which is how to do the safekeeping thing. So what we do is, I got into Bitcoin nine years ago, 2011, first-hand experience with difficulties of buying, using, and storing Bitcoin. And one of the best cases for Bitcoin is actually investing, right? Hodling, investing to the values that go up. So the hardest problem is actually how to easily store Bitcoin securely, safely for the long run, okay? Mm -hmm. So our mission is to make cryptocurrency yep. accessible to everyone. And that's what we're going to talk about quickly. So Ballet, what's a great wallet for mass adoption? Well, this is the only thing we have. So today, if you look at security and convenience, the people talk about it at two ends of extremes, okay? Wallets today, many wallets are very secure, but I think they're quite inconvenient. So what we're trying to do with Ballet is we're trying to make a wallet that has a right mix, the right sort of trade-offs to make it really convenient for people. So look at all the wallets today. We have desktop wallets, mobile wallets, web wallets, hardware wallets, custodial wallets and services, and uh, they're quite complicated. These are the four categories. So for desktop wallets, as you know, uh, Bitcoin Core, Bitcoin QT, very CPU intensive hard disks, 250 gigabyte uh, hard drive, live internet connection, and you need to back up the file, right? For web mobile wallets, they actually store the keys in the web browser cookies or sometimes on, the, on your phone, flash memory, and there's a very complicated procedure of backup and recovery for the seed words. You have passwords, passphrases to memorize, pin codes and all that. Human memory is fallible, okay? So you're running on it always on a hot connected device, so these are the issues. For hardware wallets, how many guys have hardware wallets? 
Okay, so you again, you have these complicated backup of seed recovery words. There's always, if you think about the security, are the hardware wallets secure? Well, have you ever done a firmware upgrade for your hardware wallet? Yeah, how many of you have done a firmware upgrade? So ask yourself, if they're so secure, why do you have to keep upgrading the firmware? And that's actually a very nightmarish scenario to upgrade the firmware of my hardware wallet. And they still have passwords, passphrases, and PIN codes, okay? So they also suffer from technolo technology obsolescence in terms of the USB, the secure chip, the Bluetooth, NFC, and they're expensive and not future-proof. Custodial services. So what normal people do is they just open an account on Coinbase and um, they uh, they just sign up and set up an account. But what's ha exactly happening is it's actually a custodial service. You have a complicated account registration, KYC. You have usernames, passwords, PIN codes, 2FA verification. You have phone SIM hijacking. You have identity fraud. People log in, take your Bitcoins. You have limits on withdrawals and transfers. And then even how to reset your credentials. So these are very complicated topics. So is there a better wallet for mass adoption? And our name, Ballet, evokes a sense of simplicity and elegance. That's what we're about. We're going to make a simple and elegant solution for wallet for mass adoption. What are we aiming for? We're aiming for number one, something that's easy and safe for everyone, anyone, any age, any background, any any person, okay? Number two, no setup. We want a wallet that has no setup, no complicated backup procedures. Number three, we want you to hold your private keys 100%. Think about that. You really want to hold your private keys, okay? Offline code storage. Number four, multi-currency support. That's a given in today's multi-currency world. Um, no hardware headaches, no firmware upgrades, no battery power issues, compatibility, cables to plug in, Bluetooth to pair, nothing like that, okay? And great UI UX, mobile uh, app, multilingual support for global adoption. And you want something that's inexpensive, yet very reliable, something that's built to last. Okay, and a physical form, easy to hold and safekeeping, a bare asset. So my answer is yes, we can do that. What Ballet has is the real Bitcoin, this is it. It's a stainless steel wallet. It's actually the world's first multi-currency non-electronic wallet. We just got a patent issued la uh, earlier this month, about two weeks ago, for the multi-currency support, okay? Think of this as a fancy Casatius coin. Remember those Casatius coins, loaded Bitcoins? This is a non-electronic wallet with multi-currency support. This is the world's first. All previous physical Bitcoins had only one currency in it, whether it's Bitcoin, Litecoin, or Ethereum. This is multi-currency support. We got a patent on this just issued. We applied for it last year. We got it issued just two weeks ago, on early February. Really excited. So, number two question, number two audience survey. This audience, do you custody your own Bitcoin? You guys better all raise your hand. You guys all, yeah? Only one person, two people? Wow, okay, okay, all right. Maybe not some of you are shy to not say that. Uh, do you generate all your, your own private keys? Yeah? Okay, good. Okay, and then um, do you back up your own private keys? All right, backing up the seed recovery rate. Yes, very good. So do you know what a paper wallet is? You guys know what a paper wallet Okay, good. So thank you for raising your hands. So it turns out ballet is not for you. <laughs> so people who raise your hands, you guys are the experts, okay? Ballet is not for you. You already have the good solutions. You know what you're doing, okay? However, ballet is for your friends and family. Does that make sense? It's suitable for everyone else. Does that make sense? All right, it's really for the mass market, not for this audience. This, I, I didn't, we didn't make this wallet for people who come to this conference. Rather, 
the people who come to this conference will help us spread Bitcoin to the rest of the world. Okay, this is what this this is the tool to do that. Okay, so multi currency support. I talked about that. More coming soon. We have over hundred already. This slide is outdated. So essentially, there's a sticker on top, a tamper evidence sticker. You peel it off on the back of this yellow side. That's the encrypted private key. On top of that, there's a scratch off with a passphrase. So it's a physical bearer asset, easy to hold, and all you need to do is keep it safe. Don't lose it, okay? There's nothing to back up. This is it. Think of this as the money, gold bar, okay? In fact, we do have a gold version, okay? A gold plated version, 24K gold plated. We do the private key generation. It's called 2FKG, two factors. So the private keys on this wallet is two factors. There is not one private key, but there's two components to the private key. We create them in two different countries, using two different companies, two different jurisdictions, two different teams. They never commingle. So the data, the electronic data never comes together. The electronic data for the passphrase and the BIT30 encrypted private key, they never touch electronically. However, physically, they come together on the wallet for you, okay? So it's using BIT38, open standard. It's been around for many, many years. Mike Caldwell, famous for making cassatious coins, he invented this, okay? But I took it to the next level by creating multi-currency support for it. Okay, so I'm finishing up right now. I know it's 10 minutes. Uh, we, we're selling this for $39, the real Bitcoin wallet. Okay, $39. Buy two, get one free. By the way, you, you get one for free for coming. And if you want to buy more for your friends and family, you can buy two, get one free, okay? And then we're also doing the gold-plated one for $99. This is really nice. If you want to have, if you hodl, you have a lot of Bitcoins, you know, spreading up over these. And uh, also buy two, get one free. Okay, are you guys ready for your, for your, um, let me just go through this slide, N who cares about this? Uh, who care about the last point here? Who wants free Bitcoin? You guys ready? Get your cameras ready? Okay, here's a public key, public address, and I'm going to give some lucky person here $100 in Bitcoin right now. You guys ready? All right, that was your chance. All right, I'll give you one more chance. $100, seriously, $100, 0.105, I think, 0.105. Uh, no, not point, sorry, point zero one oh five. that's is right. Is no one sweeping that? Is no one sweeping yeah, that? No one sweeping that. Come on, come on, come on. Are you ready, Tone? Are you ready? Are you ready, Tone? Who's the first to sweep Come on, Tone, bring out your camera. Come on. Should be ready. Are you ready yet, Tone? All right. Wait. Wait, come that's on, come on. Oh, it's not, someone is doing it, right? Come on, who's doing it? Tone, come on, I'm waiting come for you. I'm someone's got to beat me to sweep the private key, guys. I'm waiting for you to take a photo of it. You ready? Photo will help. I just want to sweep it directly. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. I'm yeah. waiting for him. Watch. I'm going to hit the key right before he sweeps it. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> see <you>. Boom. <laughs> okay. All right. Last thing is we're actually going to load one of these gold wallets with 0 0.1 BTC. Wait, that That's $1,000 of value. And we will auction it starting at a bid of 0 0.01. Okay. It's a pay to bid. You pay $1 to bid and we'll, we'll end the auction tomorrow afternoon. Okay, come to our booth. Our booth is right there. Get your free wallet. Buy more for your friends and family and come join the auction, okay? All right, thank you very much. Thanks, Bobby. Yeah, so tomorrow, Bobby will be on a panel and uh, it was going to be interesting. So unfortunately, Rodolfo Novak will not be making it in person. We're going to have a little debate between you two guys because he's got the cold card wallet, but I'll replace him with someone else that is critical of it so that they get both sides as to why some people in the space are critical uh, of your wallet and it is private key. So we will uh, hash that out uh, here on the panel. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Bobby.
All right, I believe that's it. Uh, I believe that's all of the, oh, Scott, you wanna come up real quick? All right. All right, we got Alpha Point. I'll just say a few more words. How many of you are familiar with Alpha Point? Because they've been around for a good, what, six plus years now? Oh, wow. This is what happens. <laughs> no. Oh. Hello, everybody. I'm Scott Bambasino, one of the uh, founding, uh, co-founding members of uh, Alpha Point. Uh, since 2013, we've been providing a white label solution enabling our clients to become exchange owner operators around the globe. Uh, so the founder, Joe Ventura, in 2011-2012 uh, was looking at the landscape of the technical backends, the Mount Goxes of the world, and he has a background in, in building th these types of technologies, and he wanted to, to make the ecosystem stronger and better so that it could scale up to where it is today. And that's what we set out to do. So we've been doing this longer than anybody else has. Uh, the people that were in the market when we started are dead and gone. The people that are doing it today uh, all came after Alpha Point. So in effect, what we do is we provide the, the technical back end to a number of uh, global exchanges and brokerages as well. So what that means is our clients focus on uh, meeting the regulatory burden, getting their banking relationships in place to process their customers' deposits and withdrawals in national currencies, and basically business 101, building their brand, customer acquisition, customer support, and, and, and growing revenues. And then what we do, I call that the business side of the equation. What we do is we provide the other side of the equation, which is the tech stack. So we offer the full scope, full stack tech solution, enabling our clients to either become uh, exchange owner operators uh, and or support brokers as well. And so s we basically have uh, tens of billions of dollars flowing over the platform uh, every month. And we have clients in all five continents. And we're now in business with some very large financial institutions. For example, uh, XP Securities, multi-billion dollar ba uh, bank out of Brazil, has licensed our technology. Um, we also have a second application that uh, we've been developing over the last couple years called APAD, Alpha Point Asset Digitization. This enables our clients to tokenize any asset on any blockchain. We have a few uh, use cases, uh, such as um, tokenizing fractional ownership in a real estate portfolio. Uh, we have clients that are representing ownership in commodities uh, via tokens, and they're finding that uh, distributed ledger technology and, and some of the blockchains that they're building on top of is, uh, is, is helpful for them. It's adding a lot of uh, efficiencies to the market. So if anybody ever has any questions about uh, how exchanges work or brokerages or anything really. I'm here all weekend. Uh, I was here last year as well. Really excited to be here. This is one of the conferences that I look forward to and I, I really was pushing off a point to support uh, Tone in this conference. And so I uh, appreciate you guys' attention and uh, have a great weekend. Have a great conference. All right, awesome. Thanks, Scott. And we do have one more. I'm sorry about that. Uh, DFG uh, coming up. They are uh, sponsoring the speaker, uh, Green Room and the VIP Room and uh, they'll tell you about what they do. Thank you. Uh, we are DFG. We are building a truly, you know, decentralized and diversified business throughout the world. Uh, we have around 200 employees, you know, over four different kind of office. Uh, we have office in San Francisco. We have office in Singapore. We have office in Middle East in Abu Dhabi, and then we have office in mainland China in Shanghai. So we are building a truly decentralized kind of, you know, remotely working kind of atmosphere in our office. And we do a bunch of interesting stuff. Uh, first, we are able to get very early stage in the investment side. Uh, we hold like a lot of mainstream coins, including Bitcoins and others. 
Um, and we are around, right now we have the, you know, AUM managing on the second market around like $300 million. And also on, on the investment side into the FP, we are able to, you know, also get into uh, the companies in real estate like Circle, Magic, Brave, Repeal, a bunch of Bitcoin, non-Bitcoin companies. So we invest, you know, uh, uh, like uh, $80 million into it and get like a 3x in, in all of them. So I guess, you know, overall we are doing pretty, pretty, pretty good in the investment side. We are trying to, you know, get more deeply involved in the different tokens and the cryptocurrencies. Uh, right now I think, you know, the m market starts to, you know, uh, everybody is talking about institutional uh, players coming to market. I mean, they, they don't necessarily, uh, you know, are uh, kind of waiting for the policy to become more formalized and more established and moving to market. They already, you know, start to move into the market very quietly. I talked to a lot of friends from, you know, different family office. They are really doing that. So we think, you know, uh, I after two years of the bear market, it will probably be a good time for us to, you know, uh, invest into the cryptocurrency. But do not, you know, buy in the, the those kind of shitty coins, just, you know, long only the mainstream coins. So that is also our strategy. And also we do two other interesting stuff. You know, first of all, we are operating the, you know, a, a licensed cryptocurrency exchange in Middle East is about to launch. So we are be the only ones who, who are able to connect with the fiat channel and launch the exchange in Middle East. So I, I think that's super valuable. If you take a look at the, you know, market like two years ago, Korea is really the, the important market, which, you know, dominate a lot of trading activities in, in the Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency as well. And China is another one. So I will feel that in the next couple of years, Middle East, with all the, you know, capitals moving to the place, that jurisdiction will be definitely be an important market for us. So we are able to get, uh, get there earlier. Like uh, three years ago, we educated government that how to, you know, do cryptocurrency and really, and they move very really fast, create a framework. Then we op we got IPAs last July and then we are about to, you know, operate an exchange. And then we got also got to, you know, be able to apply the custody license here in U.S. We want to start working on some, you know, border lending business here in China, uh, in U.S. as well. So overall, we think uh, regulation is really, really important. It's not that yet, not that, you know, not there yet, but we think it's really important in the future. So we want to operate in uh, different kind of uh, regulatory business and to provide good product and service and reliable product and service to different people in different regions. And the last things we are doing is maybe uh, a little bit kind of interesting is the another protocol is called ETC, it's very classic. Uh, we are able to, you know, uh, uh, managing the protocol by our in-house dev team. It actually is the only dev team managing the protocol right now. And also we create an incubator which support, you know, 25 projects a year with a uh, different kind of use case to build on top of ETC. I think interestingly, ETC share a lot of you know common value with with Bitcoin. Uh, we 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 stick to proof of stake. Uh, we have a very you know uh, you know uh, we are very focused on the building things, not without you know take a lot of storage, and we are able to move things pretty you know uh, stably without you know being too fast and too kind of sh you know uh, ship under you know straight of focus or whatever. So we are able to. Uh, very, you know, be careful and really, you know, move things forward. 
So I think you know uh, uh, this is kind of the protocol we are we are kind of very confident in, and we are doing this for long term. So yeah, so pretty uh, pretty interesting stuff. You know, in our comments, if you guys have more questions or whatever, please feel free to come to our booth. You know, we have uh, one more colleague, Liz, is here with me. So we are happy to you know share our vision and uh, strategy with you guys. Awesome! Thank you so much. And thank you again for supporting the event. All right, guys, thank you for coming out. Um, there's a cash bar back there in the corner. We still got Jimmy Song and Saifedean signing books. Uh, you know, we're gonna, we'll be here another 10, 15 minutes or so. And then those that um, are, are going to the carnivory dinner, I mean, everyone can kind of walk in that direction. It's about a five minute walk. It's not far at all. It's called Triple George Grill. Uh, just uh, there'll be somebody in the front, you know, checking off names. Uh, unfortunately, that if we're totally full on that dinner. Um, tomorrow morning, we're going to start at 9 a.m. sharp. Uh, sorry about the audio quality. It wasn't perfect uh, for the live stream. Uh, this is why we did this test live stream tonight uh, in preparation for the conference tomorrow so that by tomorrow, um, everything will be ironed out and everything will be great for that live stream. Uh, tomorrow night there's an after party and don't forget uh, the Scammy Awards will take place during the after party. We will, we will look to stream that as well at 10 p.m. You will all get a ballot tomorrow to vote in the Scammy Awards because your vote by being here will count for one third. So 250 people or so that are here uh, will uh, their vote will go way more important than the Twitter fan vote, and uh, that will count for one third. And then we'll uh, try to get another group, I don't want to say the name, uh, to have the other third vote. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we'll make more announcements tomorrow. Other than that, uh, please stop by the sponsor booth uh, if you uh, are curious and have some questions. Uh, check out the art, check out our merch store, and we're going to have fun. It's going to be awesome. Thank you, everybody, for supporting. Thank you, everybody, for coming out. Uh, we're going to go ahead and end it here. And uh, the conference will start 9 a.m. Pacific time here in Las Vegas. Unconfiscatable, guys. <laughs> All right, thank you.